Let's just take a minute to once again thank the Lord and pray that God will continue to minister unto us. Father God, we just thank you, Lord Father, for every life-giving miracle that you have wrought in us, Lord Father. And Father God, we continue to seek you, Lord Father, that you will continue to teach us, bring life into our dead bodies, Lord Father, that we will know that when you speak, there is life in those words, Lord Father. We commit every one of us into your hands, and we ask, Lord Father, that you speak to us, and we will be receptive to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A bar opened opposite a church. And so the church prayed daily against this bar business. Now days later, the bar was struck by lightning, it caught fire and was completely destroyed. The bar owner sued the church authorities for a cause of its destruction, as it was an action because of their prayer. But the church denied all responsibility. So the judge commented, this is a difficult case to decide, because here we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer, and an entire church that doesn't believe it. Brothers and sisters, we need to get our doctrines right. The church, the Bread of Life Church Council at its last meeting decided under the leading of the Holy Spirit that the time was right for the next themed set of messages. On further discussion and elaboration, it was concluded that over the next six to seven weeks, starting today, the messages would focus on the doctrinal statements in the Bread of Life Statement of Faith. And therefore, today's message is part of that teaching series. It is not a preaching message. Permit me to read out to you the preamble in Article 4 of the Constitution of the Bread of Life Fellowship, which deals with the Statement of Faith. Now, as members of the Bread of Life Fellowship, it is important that we know what is the statement of faith that we rest our faith upon. What is it that we are actually believing? And so I quote verbatim. This is directly taken from our church constitution. This doctrinal statement is not a creed as the whole Bible is our creed. We recognize the existence of many differences in interpretation among genuine Christians. We are, however, convinced that to avoid a looseness which might result in the admission of unbelievers to the fellowship or even of such Christians who are unprepared to cooperate in the fellowship and ministry to which God has called us, an agreement to certain minimum doct biblical doctrines must be established, the rejection of any which shall be grounds for ineligibility to membership. The Bible, it continues, the Bible is the all-sufficient rule for faith and practice. And this statement of faith, or statement of fundamental doctrines, is intended as a basis of fellowship among the believers and worshippers of Bread of Life. That is, that all may speak the same thing. 
The terminology used in this statement is not inspired nor contended for, but the truth set forth is held to be essential to constitute a Bible-believing, full gospel ministry. No claim is made that it covers all and entire biblical truth, but only that it covers the fundamental truths. Close the statement. So will you turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Please also turn with me to Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Acts 2.42 And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. It is therefore clearly in our interest that we agree to have an establishment of certain biblical doctrines, since the concept is scriptural and is something we need to follow up with. Can I have the first slide, please, sister? I'm sorry if it is small. The, the, the next one. The statement of faith, yes. Okay. Now, on this PowerPoint display, you can see the 15 different headings in the statement of faith, each of which will be elaborated over the next six to seven weeks. The focus of today's teaching is on doctrines 1 and 2 of the Bread of Life Statement of Faith. We're going to go directly into the Godhead, followed by the Scriptures today. We'll be elaborating on these two points, and in weeks to come, we will be dealing with all the other points, the fall of man, salvation through Jesus Christ, eternal life and the new birth, water baptism, the Holy Communion, sanctification, Baptism in the Holy Spirit, the fellowship or church and its mission, divine healing, resurrection of the just, the blessed hope, the return of our Lord and the millennial reign of Christ, the final judgment and hell, the new heavens and the new earth. All of these form the statement of faith of the Bread of Life Fellowship. And while we just put them up as blank statements, there are elaborations that we need to understand, and therefore we will be dealing with it over the next seven weeks. Today we are going to be dealing with the first two, and so I start with the first one, which is the Godhead. The operative wordings state that our God is one, but manifested in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being co-equal. Okay, so that would be operative wordings, which state that our God is one, but manifested in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, being co-equal. In John, in 1 John, chapter 5, verse 7, it is written like this. And I want you to take your Bibles and see what is written there. 
Because if you have got any version other than the King James Version or the New King James Version, not that I always use the King James or the New King James Version, for this particular verse, why I particularly ask you to take your own versions and look at it is because of a difference. Okay, the King James Version and the New King James Version state it like this. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Many other versions don't have this verse. It stops with the first four words. And there are witnesses. And then it goes on to verse 8. But the King James Version, New King James Version, and that is crucial for us because we are taking this point, we are talking about the Godhead. Okay, and for which we need to know that there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And all these three are one. Clearly defined in the Scriptures. The three persons who make up the single being God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are often called the Trinity. The word Trinity itself does not appear in the Bible. But biblical scholars have created it to describe the three beings who make up God and are also referred to as members of the Godhead. Throughout the Bible, God is presented as being Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but three persons or three personalities of the one and only God. Okay, we need to be clear in some of these concepts. We are not talking about three gods. We are talking about three personas or three personalities of the one and only God. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, it is written, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The instruction is to baptize in the name and not in the names of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It is name of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So that is singular. Okay, so once again there is an emphasis in putting across to us that there is one God with three personas. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we read of what Peter said to Ananias. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then it goes on to end this way. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. He brings in the Holy Spirit and then he says, you have lied to God. Once again, equating the two of them. Why is this concept of the triune God, the Trinity, so difficult to understand? So often, you will hear others, non-Christians, trying to hoodwink us, trying to pull the wool over our eyes, trying to catch us off guard. And we stumble, because we are not able to explain that our Trinity God is one God. We don't have the answers 
or we are not able to give the answers because we ourselves are not too sure. But if you look at what we are going to be looking at over the next half an hour or so, you will see clearly that there should be no area for confusion. It's a very simple fact. So why is this concept of the triune God so difficult to understand? Each of us has different personas. I am Leslie the father to my son, to my children. I am Leslie the husband to my wife. I am Leslie the son to my parents. I am Leslie a lecturer at my institute. I am Leslie an elder in the church here. Am I different people? I have different tasks. I am the same person. Each of you is the same. We all have different personas. And our different personas take up different responsibilities. Different functions. Different tasks. And depending upon the need of that persona... We react, we do certain things. In my authority as a father, I have certain authorities. But that authority of a father to my son does not give me that same authority to apply that father authority at my workplace. At my workplace, my authority is different. So you see, this concept of being personas Put together should not be a difficult thing to understand at all because we all live that concept. And so to think that our God, is he three gods? Is he one God? Is there a problem somewhere? Should not be a difficult thing to understand at all. God has chosen to express himself to mankind as Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit. These are the expressions of three distinct personas or personalities. Yet the three are one. The scriptures present the persona of God the Father as the source of creation, the giver of life, and the God of the entire universe. In Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 and 15, Paul writes, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So what are the characteristics of God the Father? Sister, can I have the next slide please? Now I may not have time to go through all the verses that we have here, but I will just uh, highlight a few things as we go along. Yes, brother, the next slide. God is the creator of everything. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 6 simply says, You alone are the Lord. You made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host. The earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. God is the creator of everything. Now we are talking about the persona of God the Father. Number two, God is all-powerful. First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 11 says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. 
For all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. That is the awesome power that has been attributed to God the Father. God is all-knowing. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it is written, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Again in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, John writes, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Number four, God is holy. And we have been talking a lot about that this year. Okay, so we should not have any issues on that one. But just take a verse in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. God himself declares, I am the Lord your God. And goes on to say, and you shall be holy for I am holy. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, Hannah acknowledges this when she says, No one is holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Are we bold enough to make such statements? Are we confident enough to make such statements? Are we clear in our understanding of who God the Father is, that we can make such statements? Number five, God is spirit. Jesus Christ himself declares this in John chapter 4, verse 24, where he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In fact, verse 8 of 1 John chapter 5 will describe God as spirit, Jesus Christ as blood, and the Holy Spirit as water. Those are the two verses in King James Version, which follow each other. In other versions, you have the second part, but not the first part. Number six, God is a person you can know. The psalmist, in Psalms 145, verse 18, declares it. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. You can know the Lord. You can know God the Father. And God is a loving Father. I'm not spending time on any of these things for want of time. Okay, because we have much more that we still need to do. John writes about this in 1 John chapter 3, the first part of verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, the first part. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. See, these are the characteristics of God. God is the creator of everything. He is all-powerful, He is all-knowing, and God is holy. God is spirit, and God is a person you can know, and God is a loving Father. There are many more characteristics that you could search for, but I've just picked up seven. For one to I'm not going into details of any one of them. Now, more than 2,000 years ago, a man appeared on the scene and pages of history. He was born into the world and grew up into manhood, just like every other person. But this man was different to anyone else. He was a man born to a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he was often referred to as the Son of God. But he was God himself coming to earth in human form. 
in John chapter 1, verse 1 and in verse 14, it is written thus, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And therefore, the Son of God is often depicted as the visible image of the invisible God. Okay, God the Father has not been seen in his physical form because he is spirit. But God the Son is the visible image of the invisible triune God, the representation of God, the Messiah Redeemer. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, we read that He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So why did Jesus become the visible image of the invisible God? You have that slide up there. Number one, to rescue mankind from Satan's power. This is why God, the triune God, had to come down in the form of a visible man and live with us. To rescue mankind from Satan's power. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, the first part. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Luke 19 verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Number two. Why did Jesus become the visible image? To give his life as a ransom to buy us back. Matthew chapter 20 verse 28 says this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Do we recognize that he gave his life as a ransom for you and for me? Number three, he came to destroy the works of Satan in our lives. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, God had to be manifested. God had to come in the form of a visible God to, to do what he had to do. Number four, he came to give us eternal life. 1 John chapter 5 verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. You're talking about God the Son. Number five. He came in a visible form to give us new birth. John 1, chapter, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he's given you a new birth. Do you recognize that? Number six. To restore our fellowship with God the Father. 1 John 1.3 1 
that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ that lost fellowship had to be restored and that is why God had to come in the form of a visible image in the form of a visible being and that is God the son and finally to show us what God is really like he came as God the son in John chapter 14 verse 7 Jesus says if you had known me you would have known my father also and from now on you know him and have seen him so if you have seen me Christ says you know you have seen the father and Jesus continued in verse 9 he who has seen me has seen the father because you cannot separate the son from the father they are one After God the Son, or Jesus Christ, lived his life on earth, he was crucified. He died and was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating death and destroying the power of the devil. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven, but he left us with this wonderful promise seen in John chapter 16, verses 5 to 7. And I will read parts of it. But now I go away to him who sent me. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. God the Son, Jesus, has not left us alone as orphans in this world. He has sent us the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is God in continuing action. It's God reaching people. It's God influencing people. It's God changing people from inside. It's God filling them. It's God guiding them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14 verse 26 Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said. And that is why we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is our teacher in every situation. Turn to the word of God. It's not by your might. It's not by your understanding. It's not by all the commentaries. It's not by all the messages you hear. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks to you. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you, He teaches you, you are convicted. Everything else actually falls apart in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the Godhead's gift to every believer. When a person chooses to believe in Christ and receives the salvation He offers, the Holy Spirit comes to live in the believer. Peter teaches this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what is the work of the Holy Spirit? So what is the work of God, the Holy Spirit? We have it on screen. He teaches... 
He helps us live pleasing, lives pleasing to God. He helps us in prayer. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So He teaches us to pray. He teaches us in prayer. He helps us in prayer. He testifies of our relationship with God. Romans 8.16 says this, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are not strangers to God. He testifies of our relationship with God. We are the children of God. He introduces us to a supernatural realm. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 4 and then verses 8 to 10. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. God, the Holy Spirit, introduces us to a supernatural realm. He brings a fresh understanding of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But as it is written, the eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. You and I have that privilege of knowing the deep things of God if we have the Holy Spirit in us. If we have said that, yes, Jesus Christ is my Lord, my Savior, and we have received the Lord, we have that privilege. And yet we walk around like zombies thinking that we know nothing. We have it in us. We have that knowledge, we have that understanding, the deep knowledge of God is in us because the Holy Spirit is there to teach us the Word. We don't need to be in any pit. We don't need to be in any state of frustration. That is not meant for you and for me. As a believer, we are above all of that. If we only understand who is living in us. If we can only understand the deep knowledge of God. He testifies. He fills our spirit with true worship to God. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 19, 18 and 19. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He testifies that Jesus is alive. Acts 5, 30-32 The God of our fathers raised up Jesus when you, murdered by hanging, when you murdered him by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. He testifies, the Holy Spirit testifies 
that Jesus is alive. And the final point that I have here is, God the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. In John 16 verses 14 and 15, Jesus himself says this, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. These are the words of Jesus, where he declares that God the Holy Spirit shall glorify God the Son, the visible form of God. The practical importance of this doctrine, and we're coming to the end of part one, and then I've got a few more minutes to do part two. The practical importance of the doctrine of the Trinity or the triune God is that it requires us to pay equal attention and to give equal honor to all three persons of the Godhead. We have to give equal importance to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We need to honor God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No one is Above the other. In simpler terms, the Godhead could simply be described as God around us, God with us, and God in us. God around us is the form of God the Father. God with us in the form of God the Son. And God in us in the form of God, the Holy Spirit. We serve the God who created us, walked with us, and now lives in us. And so, after that very brief look, you could have a, a PhD study on the Trinity, by the way. Okay? If you wish, we could have a school of ministry, which would probably run about uh, a BSc program, three years uh, Purely on the Trinity. Okay. However, we don't have the timing now. So we move on to the second doctrine, which is the Scriptures. I'm just going to highlight some facts about the Scripture, and then we move on. We have to have the Lord's table shortly. The Scriptures, or the Bible, is the inspired Word of God. And the revelations of God to man. It is the infallible Inerrant and authoritative rule of faith and conduct for daily living. I'm not going to go into the statistical details of how many Bibles have been sold. We did that a few weeks now, a few months back. Now Paul, writing in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 to 16, puts it like this. All scripture, all all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If there's nothing else you're going to do, when you get back home, take that, those two verses, read them again, and read them word for word. Because every single word there has meaning. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Is profitable. Aren't we always looking for prophets? Wherever we go. It's profitable for doctrine. So you get doctrine. 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction. What more do you need for daily living? In righteousness. Because you and I are called to be righteous. Okay, it's not about uh, uh, you get the instruction to decide uh, which job you're going to jump to next. Okay, it's instruction in righteousness, right living. That the man of God may be complete. Now you'll have to decide whether you are a man of God or not. And that includes the women also. Okay, or you're not a man of God. That's fine. That's your decision. Okay, but for the man of God, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, that, that, those two verses themselves are again thesis topics. Okay, if you do divinity, you can probably do that and do a PhD on that. Again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes this. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of man or men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Okay. Don't rush through the Bible. No speed reading of the Bible. Take time. Allow every word to enter into you, get assimilated, digested, absorbed, and let it teach you. You try to do it faster than that, you end up with vomiting, diarrhea, and indigestion. And then don't blame the devil. Okay, you did them, you made the mistakes. So take time over the word of God. Okay, and you will be able to do it. So in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of daily living, how do the scriptures help us? You have some points on the screen. It gives us life. The word of God gives us life. It cleanses us. You can take down the references, I'm not going to go through it. It keeps us clean. It brings light into our lives. It gives understanding in a dark world. It causes spiritual growth. It is the sword to ward off the devil. It helps us to pray. It teaches us to live wise lives. Brothers and sisters, let us be absolutely clear of one thing. Our lives must be built on the word of God. And our lives must reflect God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is a decaying and dying world all around us, unstable in everything they think and do. You and I are called out to reach the lost. But to do that, you and I cannot afford to be shaky in our faith. You and I cannot afford to be shaky in our knowledge of who we believe in. Let me conclude this teaching with two more verses. And this is taken from the book of Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. All those who are doing experiencing God should have no problem in recognizing this, these two verses. 
Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. The bottom line of that simply is, know God. Experience, understand God. You can never understand God by skimming the surface of the Bible. You have to go deep. You will never understand the word of God by looking at it from the world's perspective. You will have to ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. You will never understand what God has got for you in the word of God. What he has already put down. We don't need to chase after prophecies. It's there in the word of God. Everything we need to know about our tomorrow is there already. All we need to do is open the Bible. All we need to do, read the Bible. Understand the scriptures. Because when you understand the scriptures, you understand who God is. And when you understand who God is, you understand who you are in God. And that's all that we need to do. And that is why... Over the next few weeks, we are going to continue studying the rest of the doctrines in the TBOLF statement of faith. And our prayer is that each of you will truly understand and know the God we profess to love and to serve. Let's just take a moment to thank God and pray. Just acknowledge that God is the creator. God is the one who has made you who you are. It's God who's taken care of us. It's God who came down to walk with us. It's God who is in us, ministering unto us, talking to us, guiding us, correcting us, stopping us from making mistakes. Thank the Lord for who He is. Father, we thank you for your presence. Father, we thank you for your word. Through your word, we came to know you. Through your word, we came to know your son, Jesus Christ. Through your word, we believe that you are the living God, the Almighty, the God who was among our forefathers, the God who was, who is, who was, with our the early saints, but the God, the Holy Spirit, who is in us, Lord, who counsels us, comforts us, and teaches all the truth which we do not know. Lord, it's our prayer in these days. Open our spiritual eyes, our minds, to go through the scriptures, to know you, who you are to us. What is the purpose of we becoming your children? Father, we thank you for your wonderful promises. Thank you for your servant whom you use in this thing. Lord, we pray in the days to come, you will continue to minister to us, O oh Father. 
and we will receive the blessings which you store for each and every one of us through the church in jesus name we pray amen now is the time for us to go to the last table and all of you know that it is for the children of god those who obey the lord accepted the lord and and testify through obedience of the water baptism so dear children it is not a ritual and it is not a tradition and it is a sacrament of the church it is god who commanded and it is god who wants and prepared this to be remembered and just before going to the last table i'll read the scripture as it is in first corinthians chapter 11 from verse 23 onwards please pay attention to this word for i have received from the lord that i which also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying the cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death till he comes therefore whoever eats this bread or drink this cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the lord but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for the lord who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the lord's body for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many are asleep for if we would judge ourselves we would not be judged but when we are judged we are chastened by the lord and that we may not be condemned with the world dear children once again it is not for the children and it is for the adults those who believe the lord obey the lord and uh, accepted jesus christ as a lord and savior so as you read the heard the word and uh, do accordingly examine yourself if you have any unforgiven sin in you it's a time for you to confess before the lord before comes to the lord's table let's pray for the bread and wine which is kept before us dear father once again we come before you sanctify this table which you prepare for us lord bless the bread and the wine of father as we are going to take part in this coming together in union we acknowledge that we are one we acknowledge that this table is prepared for us lord we acknowledge jesus christ came to this world and he shed his blood and gave his life for us oh father today we live because of you and also lord it is a commandment that you given to us to proclaim this death to this world 
let the world know christ died for us and died for each and every one of us and also we have a great hope we remember that you are coming prepare us and prepare others in jesus precious name we pray amen please coordinate with the ushers
Praise the Lord. Let's be on our feet as we close. Amen. Have you been blessed in today's service? Let's put our hands together for Jesus. Come on better for him. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. The one who was, who is, who is to come. The one that has fed us. The one that has kept us and not we ourselves. Come on, give God praise. Hallelujah. Amen. In one word, let's appreciate God for the first nine months of this year. All of a sudden, we are in October. Are you glad to see the tenth month? Father, thank you for your grace over my family. You have kept us and given us life. Thank you for the blessings of this tenth month. Thank you for bringing me and my family into the tenth month. Blessed be your name in Jesus' precious name. In one word, we have had today the omnipotency, omnisciency, and the omnipresency of God, the omni-everything, the omni-everything of God. That's what we have had today. I don't know what your situation is, but if it is captured in the omni of God, it means this month it must receive an answer. It must receive an answer. In the name of Jesus. I want you to declare, Lord, my faith is in you. Show your omnipotency in every situation of my life. This month, Lord, show your omnipotency. Lord, my situation is captured in that omnipotency of your awesomeness. Lord, show for me this morning. Manifest your power. Manifest your glory. I want to see your glory and your power such as I have seen in the sanctuary like never before. Omnipotent God, show for me this month of October in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. We have been told by God's servant today that the cup we have just taken is the cup of blessing. Amen? The cup of blessing. The communion is supposed to bless you and me with power to live above sin. From today, declare it, sin shall no longer have dominion over me. I am walking in the holiness of heaven. I am living in the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By this communion, no sin harasses me again. No force in hell harasses me again. No demonic oppression for me again. Every blessing that is in the communion. Every blessing that is in the core. Every blessing that is in the flesh and the blood of Jesus shall find expression in me. In fullness. In fullness. In fullness. In fullness. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus said, A man shall eat this and not die. <laughs> Say, John chapter 6. A man shall eat, from verse 48 towards the end. A man shall eat this flesh and not die. Amen. 
I want you to make a declaration this month, nothing dies in my family. By reason of this communion, nothing dies in my body. Nothing fails in my life. Nothing is destroyed in my hand. Everything comes to life because I am partaking of life. Everything shall live and not die. No one in this church is permitted to die. No tragedy shall befall us. By reason of this communion, in the name of Jesus, so shall it be. Thank you, Father. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, we acknowledge what you have done for us today. Once again, we thank you for your son. You brought him out of the region of the dead. And gave him the light of the living again. Lord, we decree perfection to all that concerns him. In the name of Jesus. Everyone appointed to death in this, in this church. Today we agree. The same power that brought that son of Zion out. Brings you out in the name of Jesus. The same omnipotency of God that showed up for him. Shall show up for you in your hour of need. This month shall be your greatest month ever. You will hit the target on every side. Whatever God has said is yours. That the enemy is contesting. By the omnipotency of God. This month. God. My God and your God shall put them in your hands. Shall put them in your hands. Shall put them in your hands. In the name of Jesus. I see you calling on Friday morning next week with your testimony. I see you tomorrow calling the pastor to share your testimony. In the name of Jesus. So shall it be. This week is declared your week of supernatural lifting. God shall make it your week of joy. Your long awaited good news is coming this week. In the name of Jesus. Thank you Father. Go in peace. Go and enjoy the blessings of God. This communion that you have taken shall fill you with energy and life all through this month. There shall be no downtime in your life. There shall be no crisis in your family. Every appointment with accident and tragedy is cancelled today. In the name of Jesus. So shall it be. Let's appreciate God one more time. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Let's share the grace in fellowship. The grace our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, God's goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. Amen. Holiness and peace. God bless you. We are 